myself through how I was feeling <laughs> for like three weeks. And how did that work? I went back and watched them. It kind of scared me. It's cringy. Yeah, it scared me. Like like looking at a different person? Yeah. Yeah. To see how much change you go through. Oh man, that's such a wild fucking yeah. concept. Yep. Really, really makes you struggle with what an identity is, what a person is, what the definition of those things are. Yeah, I but think. I guess. I think the best relationships are the ones that uh, that you don't feel much compromise, you don't feel much change, that you guys exist, you know, singularly, but also parasitically off yeah. of each other. <laughs> um, but change is inevitable. Change is inevitable, and you know what else is inevitable? Don't even say it. Fucking death. I knew it. <laughs> the void. Uh, yeah. I mean, it comes for all of us. Am I right? I just, I guess, if I were to, if I were to say something, <laughs> cheers, 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 Mike. Uh, it would be that I would just like to listen to a particular album. Which one? It's my favorite album of all time. It's called Metropolis Part Two. Scenes from a Memory. It's about reincarnation. It's a concept album by the band Dream Theater. Mm -hmm. Very, very gorgeous music and just really good message at the end of the album. Not the last song. I think the second last song. It's a really very... It's called uh, The Spirit Carries On. Yeah. And, And the very beginning lyrics are, where do we come from? Why are we here? Where do we go when we die? Yeah. Very, it very asks big questions in the beginning. And at the end of the song, it's very hopeful and accepting. And I love that we start all of these episodes with like very deep thoughts. Yeah, because that's how that's how the story fucking makes us feel. Yeah, where are we going? What is life? What is time? What is space? Who are you? Who am I? So fucking much. Yeah, and I'm glad that Dream Theater can do that for you. Yeah, they do. Really That's fun. Yeah. I think I had listened to two songs, not for me. I totally understand. <laughs> They're a particular, I don't know. Oh, I no. Like I, if I feel the same way that you just mentioned listening to Sigur Ross, which we like, talked about in yeah, episode, which I think we talked right. about in Left Right Part 2, <laughs> which had to have been episode 108, 106, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't remember any of your your earlier episodes. I just know that this is... I think this is like your... um, I don't have my phone. I think this is like your 15th or 16th episode or something. I think so. Mm, It's somewhere... not 15. It's somewhere in between 10 and 15. Maybe 10. I think around 10. No, your 10 was like the first left-right game part, believe it or not. Really? Do you have your phone? 
I don't have a phone. You don't have a phone. <laughs> That's right. I've been well, without a phone for I'm about staring four at a days. computer, so I might as well use it. Apple products. Asshole products? Apple. <laughs> Apple. <laughs> for a second there, I thought we were talking about my ex-girlfriend. Asshole? <laughs> Asshole products. Oh, that's not the playlist I wanted. I wanted your face. Where's your face at? Oh, okay. So this is going to be... Are you right? This is going to be... 12. This is going to be your 12th. Huh. How's it feel on your 12th episode? I think Django's on his, like, 20th. 12 is a lot. 12 is a lot. I think your, um... Your, your time, the amount of time you've given for 12 episodes is a lot higher than, like, Frowns is at 12. I've gotta have one of the higher average time per episode. Absolutely. We talk too much. We do talk too much. We should just jump into the story. Yeah, like, for for the first time, we're not stoned. You know, we're just, we're just, uh, drinking a little bit. But we, yeah, I guess you're right. Five minutes in, let's start talking about things. We also just mentioned, we also just watched something. We watched Bird Box. It's the new, uh, I know this episode isn't gonna air for another three weeks, but Bird Box just came out, um, before the new year. So for Netflix users out there, give it a gander. Um, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't think it was great. I think the first half of the movie was great. I think they did a really good job. Um, we had a lot of fun watching the first half. Yeah. Then the second half kind of. And like- then, um, and then the second half is kind of dumb. Um, it just continually gets dumber. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, we found ourselves angrier at the characters' decisions as the movie went on. The premise the premise is simple. There's there's very little to spoil about this movie. The premise is that the apocalypse is brought on by something you can't look at. Go. You know, that's the movie. Yeah. Pregnant mother running through streets watches sister get slapped by car. Can't look at t- uh, what are we going to call it? Do you want to call it Sky Demon? I kind of felt like in a, in a different... You know what? No. If I were to go to Burning Man, it's, I'd want people to call, call it, me Sky Demon. Let's just call it the Entity, like from Dead by Daylight. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> so when they look at the Entity... All that I imagine are the fucking rose-like well, it's a, thorn insect part. That's the. I think that's the simplest way to describe this thing. Fine, you an, fucking nerd. Because it was intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was manipulative. That's a very good point. So, I, okay, so it might frustrate some people. It you're drawing me. You're drawing very good lines to comparison. Yeah. Although it, well, the entity is also insect parts that come down from the sky. Yeah. Yes, and there was no evidence that this thing in the movie. Not just like leaves a bunch. It, it was a really good leaf blower, is what. Oh, it reminds <laughs> me of Lost. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was the smoke monster from Lost. I guess we can do a little bit of spoilery because I guess people well, have seen it by now. Probably, but it doesn't really matter. The, yeah. We're not really like talking about the movie. Um, it's, uh, you know, if you want to watch a good movie, go watch The Mist. I was saying the same thing to Tenron. We're going to watch that before we record the final left-right game, uh, you know, sometime soon. Uh, we're here, of course, today to do the second-to-last mm-hmm. episode of left-right game, which, congrats, again, your 13th episode 
is going to be the lo- the f- conclusion mm. to the longest running series yet on Lots of Pasta. It's my favorite number too. Thirteen is a fantastic number. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on Bird Box? I uh, guess I'd give it. I'm not really much of a uh, movie snob, but I guess I'd give it like a seven out of ten. I'm a movie snob, and I would probably give it a, a five or a six. So yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, it it is entertaining. You can watch it. Sandra Bullock is good. She's all right. She's herself, you know. I don't know. When I think Sandra Bullock, I think you know two two mm-hmm. very distinct things. I think Gravity, mm-hmm. which is like a career defining performance. Mm-hmm. And I think what's the one where she's the Texan mom? Uh, something line, something Blindside. Blindside. That's right. That's right. Where she plays the Texas mother of a giant black man. Mm-hmm. Michael Orr. So those are yeah. I don't fucking care. <laughs> that's that's my point though. Is when I think of two Sandra Bullocks, neither of them are uh, two in the two in the Sandra, one in the box. Yeah, two birds and one Sandra. You know, there was, I guess, really not a lot of child acting in this one. But we thought the little girl was cute. She was cute. She was very like. Sweet, I what do I do? Sweet and genuine. I wouldn't say she's like the best actress of all time, but Tee-hee. you could tell she did what the director told her to do. And now say, can I take my blindfold off? Can I take my blindfold off? It was sweeter than that. It wasn't like dumb. It's because you're looking at my fucking face when I said it. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't ugly. Newsflash. I'm a fucking demon. I'm a sky demon. An entity. I am the entity. Look at me. Fucking Gary. Are we right? Yeah, the movie starts to do some annoying shit, like, halfway through, and, uh, you know, like, breaking its own rules, first off. Oh, yes. So, I won't spoil that, because it's a big part of the movie, but uh, it's frustrating. I did love John Malkovich and B.D. Wong. I feel like I could just watch a show about them being shitty neighbors to each other. I would watch that. Like, B.D. Wong is like a sassy gay man just trying to renovate his home. And John Malkovich is like a straight-laced, you know, white-collar American who just disagrees with all of their homoerotic tendencies. What a cr- It was a crazy movie. It was crazy. Crazy can be good. It wasn't bad. Like I said, it wasn't terrible. It was just interesting. Anyway. Well, okay. Would you rather live in a world where that, where the circumstances. Oh, yeah. We talked about Quiet Place. That was another quiet reason. Place. That's another reason. So would you rather not be able to talk or not be able to see? I don't need to fucking talk. Yeah. I could be super fucking quiet. I could. Yeah. I could. You podcast listeners listening to me fucking talk for three hours. I could be quiet if I wanted to be. Yeah, plus in this movie too, they they still had to be quiet in a way. Yeah, I, um, I told myself that... Jesus, you just gave me terrible anxiety. Why? Because you stared off into the distance for a good three seconds without saying anything. Because like I said I could movie. be. Because I said I could be quiet. Oh, you thought I saw something. Oh, no, you scared me. You Scott. thought I. You thought I saw an entity. Fuck off. God damn it. It's so beautiful, Denro. 
I'd have to go to my Switch it's so beautiful. and play Smash Brothers. <laughs> I'd have to play Smash Brothers to bring myself out of this depression. <sighs> to distract me from it. Can't catch any feelies if you're smashing them. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, quick recap. Three, two, one. Let's break it down. Uh, Left, right game. Part three just ended. It's episode one hundred and ten, which was a good episode. Um, let's see what happened. Apollo tries catching Lilith from falling off. No, Eve from falling off car and gets uh, really bad at the floor is lava game. And then she uh, is too anxious to cross the rope and yep. slips and is also very bad uh-huh. at the floor is lava game. And Apollo um, eats dirt because of it, right? The, they both die. That's right. Yes, that's right. And Rob is upset um, and kind of blames himself. And Alice has picked up on something that Rob let slip, which is that he has been evidently playing the game for years, even mm-hmm. though it is only one year old in Alice's timeline. Let's start calling it that because I have a feeling that that's where we're going to go. Um, <clears throat> let's what else? Um, bu- 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 bu. Lilith is not okay. Um, she did not reciprocate Eve's love and has taken her death very personally. Um, Blue Jay let Bonnie free and she went crazy after having spoken to the hitchhiker mm-hmm. in part one. And uh, Clyde could not live without her because newsflash it was revealed to us that they were both in their 60s and they were therefore very dependent and very old. Yes. And um, Clyde got so fucking sad he killed himself Yes. Um, to be with Bonnie. How did he kill himself? He just walked down the road to Wintery Bay uh, following where she drove the car. Ah. Um, Blue Jay set her free, though, and Blue Jay... we. We just got back to camp. Alice has just gotten back from walking Clyde to kill himself because she told him, you know, he shouldn't have to do it by himself and that she wasn't going to try and stop him. Uh She just wanted to talk to him. Rob is asleep. Lilith is asleep. And Blue Jay is asleep. And Clyde just died. And Alice just got back to camp. Yes. So there are only four people left. It is Rob and three women. Uh, What do you think is going to happen? Rob and Alice would be the last ones left. So what, Blue Jay and uh, Lilith are left? Yeah. Sorry, Eve? Lilith. No. Lilith. Yeah, Lilith. So Lilith will probably die. Blue Jay, probably... Lilith will die first, and then Blue Jay... Whew, well, maybe we'll see. I don't know. I, I have no idea where I'm this is riding with my theory that... No idea. Rob is going to die, and it's going to be the three of them left... Uh, kind of fucking with each other, you know, like like Blue Jay doesn't want to get along with anyone, and without Rob, everyone is left fending for themselves, and I just think it could get dirty. And I'm kind of waiting for the story to get there, because up until this point, the most conniving thing that's happened is Clyde lying about his wife for the last, or not. I keep, I keep thinking they're a fucking couple because of the way they talk about each other, but they're actually brother and sister. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, he he was lying to them for the past like three episodes about Bonnie having talked to the hitchhiker. So that's like that's like the most conniving thing that's happened. But Blue Jay is still the most malicious character in the story. So there's no telling what someone like Rob would do to someone like her, or what happens when Rob is outed to the group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's three women and Rob, you know, three three women and a Robbie, and you never know. Who what... knows how old he is? Um, I think Alice in the first part said he's somewhere in his sixties, based on appearances. Yeah, based on appearances, we, we're still. Um, that's fun. We we need to talk about that too before we jump in. We drew a bunch of lines to um, mythology at the end of that's part right. three. I likened him to Charon. Yes, because his code name is Ferryman, and that's something we even said in the first episode. You know, he's like the Ferryman of the Damned. You know, Charon, and then Apollo. I mean, that that. Yeah, and he's still another name, Lilith and name Eve. Name for mythology. Lilith and Eve are the names of the first women ever created by God. Lilith yeah. was Lilith was made out of clay in Adam's image, and he did not get along with her because she. It's heavily implied that she was not like him. Um, inhuman, almost. And so God instead took from Adam, I think, a rib and an, an unnecessary organ and crafted Eve out of what made Adam. Mm-hmm. And he was then able to be happy because he had someone that was like him, mm-hmm. biologically speaking. So... Then we, start, we, then we started talking about the underworld... Tartarus and the, the river Styx, the river Styx, and all the realms of the underworld, Elysian, and fields. Elysian fields, the uh, the river of screaming, mm. you know, which which harkens back to the radio or both the radio and the town yeah. that they that they drove through. Um, there's a lot of fucking fun lines here. Alice is like Alice in Wonderland, you know, like hopping between dimensions. Yeah, um, or maybe she's like Kratos. Yeah, maybe she is Kratos. Kratos, Kratos, boy. Anyway, um, I think the only people. Wait, can I do my Kratos impression? Yeah, Zeus, I have come to kill you. <laughs> I am Kratos. It's really. I bad. have killed Ares, the god of war. That was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Festus, I have fucked God Aphrodite. Damn, God fucking damn it! <laughs> so you, we're, you stop, fucked my wife. Stop it. <laughs> he's no, he's Festus is played by a good actor though. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> okay. So we're here reading Left Right Game Part Four. Holy shit! We've now uh, usurped. Uh, the Whistlers as the longest narrative because this is mm-hmm. a part four. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of expectations and I just hope it doesn't let me down because uh, every part so far has kind of just disappointed me more and more, but we keep drawing more lines, which makes me excited to continue. Yeah. I've been told that the story is disappointing if you're not in the right mindset when it ends. So oh. I don't know what that means, but I'm hoping that I look at it a glass half full instead of empty. We'll see. You I look really no to go. I have no idea what's going to happen. Though. We don't have as much to read last time, folks, but 
you know, uh, we'll try to keep talk to a minimum and we'll try to just steam, yeah. steamroll through them. So uh, I feel like you always start the episodes, sure. so why don't you start this one? Yeah. Hi, guys. Apologies for the delay in getting this post up. Events conspired against me, it seems. I feel ya. Please, let me know if you have any information. Alright, the left-right game. Uh, this is February 13th, 2017. I'm followed back from the junction. Sorry, this is the... This is Alice. This is Alice, okay. This is Alice. I'm followed back from the junction by an overture of birdsong. <laughs> Come on, there's gotta be a relationship. There's got to be a relationship that we start this story off with a bird song after, after watching Bird, bird Box. box. Yeah, that's kind of fucking weird. It is weird. <laughs> it is. I'm grateful for the company. In the wake of Clyde's departure, I'm welcoming of any sound that distracts me from my own solitary footsteps, grasping for any conceivable antidote to the palpable silence he's left behind. I am not, however, as welcoming of what the shrill, melodic warbling represents, the first symptom of impending daybreak. I had only been up at this hour a few times before, stumbling back from Nidri Street and down Sweet Market after an unexpectedly heavy night out. My housemates, Molly, Craig, and Tom, would spend the walk joyously discussing the evening scandals leaning against one another as we all stumbled away from a night of horrific excess. This time around, the circumstances couldn't be more different. I'm quite alone as I make my way up the road, and the only excess in my in my night has been a relentless torrent of stress and melancholy. Oh, I, I downloaded that one before. Pardon? Torrent. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm slow as hell. You're drinking. There is one similarity, however, resting in the back of my mind as much now as it did then. The nagging feeling that the day ahead will be of will be one of bitter and immediate consequences. As somber that's me every day. I was gonna say it's, it's <laughs> me. Uh, I no, wake up and I'm seriously like, I'm lucky I woke up. Let's get this bread. See, I immediately wake up and I'm I wish I was dead. <laughs> I'm immediately, I, I always wake up and I'm like, fuck, I'm still alive. I fear it, man. <laughs> I fear it. As somber as this night has been, <laughs> I still find myself clinging to it, reluctant to witness the harrowing developments that sunrise will bring. In a few hours' time, the convoy will wake up to find they have suffered yet another loss. It won't be the brutal, heart-wrenching feeling that they experienced with Eve or Apollo or Bonnie, who perished in front of our eyes, but a muted sensation of gross unfairness, less immediate yet all the more insidious. As much as we hate to face the horrors in our lives, it can be far worse when they strike us without our knowing. To find out only the next morning that you have been affected by cruel forces acting in complete disregard of your presence and taking without concern for you. That last line really fucking hurt. <laughs> it hurt, yeah. With with I mean with my life recently. <laughs> it sucks. That we can't tell the future. 
Uh, I just like the uh, to find out the next morning that you have been affected by cruel forces acting in complete disregard of your presence and taking without mm. a concern for you. In a nutshell, the universe's indifference to you. Hmm. Imagine that. The world, <laughs> Imagine re- that. The world doesn't revolve around you. Ah, shit. It's not going to... I was going to say something, but... I gotta skip it. It's not going to be a pleasant morning. <laughs> it's not going to be a pleasant morning. Nevertheless, I'm glad. I'm glad. <sighs> the typos are in for the ride, I see. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> Nevertheless I'm glad. Well, yeah, just above, it was, I'm am not. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Nevertheless, I'm glad to see the convoy when it finally comes into view. I think Alice needs to work on her fucking proofreading. Some reporter, huh? <laughs> The hulking wrangler rests by the roadside like an old relic. Right now, I can think of nothing more comforting than climbing into its secure, rugged shell. For a moment, I find it strange how an object built for transit has become the one fixed point in my world. Then again, it's not exactly the strangest thing that's happening on this road. You know, Charon's boat was pretty rugged. Blue Jay's car is parked sideways on laid out across... Oh, sorry. Blue Jay's car is parked sideways on, laid out across the tarmac. The windows are shrouded in darkness, yet for the briefest moment, I think I see the red dot of a smoldering cigarette igniting behind the glass, glowing momentarily before dropping out of sight. I fix my eyes on the Wrangler and keep walking, resolved to ignore the ominous flicker's vampers and attempting to ignore its uncomfortable implications. Even still, I shudder to think of the grim conclusions that are being drawn within that acrid, smoke-filled echo chamber. Just Blue Jay being a bitch. I rest my hand on the Jeep's passenger side door, pausing briefly to gauge the sun's progress. I probably have less than two hours before I'll be expected to step over that uh, nascent horizon. Nascent? Nascent? You know, tomato. Yeah. To let Rob carry me into unknown territory onto the unexplored section of the left-right game. Whatever lies at the end of this ordeal could very well be two roads over. Then again, it could take a whole lot longer. I suppose there's only one way to find out. I climb quietly into the car, gently position myself next to Lilith. Sorry, Lilith. Lilith. You know, yeah, it's cramped. And now that she's had the space to move around, it takes a modicum of contortion to properly lie down. But it still feels more comfortable than the prospect of resting on the open space that has been reserved for Clyde. For tonight at least, it would feel like a little too much like resting on a fresh grave. The morning does come quicker than I'd like. Surprisingly, once I awake from a blissfully dreamless sleep, I realize I'm not tired at all. Perhaps it's going to hit me later in the day, or perhaps the need for sleep is yet another casualty of the road's odd sustaining quality. It's unsettling to think that the road is exerting some metamorphic influence over me. However, convenient the effect. After losing most of my need to eat and drink, and now starting to require less rest, I can't help but feel that something wants us to continue on the road, removing everything else that might distract us from the journey. It's a notion that intrigues and terrifies me, in almost equal measure. When I open my eyes, I find myself staring directly at Lilith, who has turned to face me in the night. How'd you sleep? Did you sleep well? 
I can tell she's already awake. Are you okay? Quietly resting her eyes. Does your tummy hurt? Understandably reluctant to face the morning without someone at her side. Want to eat some rice? <laughs> You're both of those voices. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey. No, hey, you. Hey. Hey, good morning. How'd you sleep? Uh, yeah, not too bad. This place isn't so comfortable. <sighs> yeah. You get used to it. A moment of silence passes between us. I'm already aware of the empty space on the other sides of the Jeep, hidden just beyond a pile of luggage and jerry cans. It'd be easy for me to act surprised at Clyde's absence, to say that I had slept through the night, to throw myself into a fruitless search effort and to realize the truth alongside everyone else. Part of me wants to avoid the weight of recent events, to step aside and let all blame fall against the road. Yet even if I wanted to, I know it, it wouldn't be right. I'm not going to contribute a new set of secrets to this journey. Anyway, for all I know, Blue Jay saw me return from the junction, I wouldn't want to give her the satisfaction of catching me in a lie. I don't think she has anything to worry about. Alice? Yeah. About Blue Jay? I, 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 about Clyde killing himself. You know, even if Blue Jay saw, I think the best way to go about the situation is, guys, listen, I saw Clyde walking away. I followed him. He told me I couldn't stop him. I walked him to the end of the road. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah, people blame themselves for a lot of things for different reasons. I don't feel as guilty about anything. Neither do I. It's good. You know, it's me against the world. Makes sense, bud? <laughs> That's right. Me against you, listeners. If I'm going to tell them what's happened, then the conversation will need to happen immediately. Certainly before they have a chance to discover Clyde's absence themselves. The words don't come easily, they're impossible to form into a delicate order, and I quickly realize that any attempt is just delaying the inevitable. In the end, all I can bring myself to say is, Clyde's gone, Lilith. It takes a few seconds of quiet comprehension before she sits up, bolts upright, alarmedly peering over the luggage to Clyde's side of the jeep. <sighs> Rob? Rob? Lilith. What? What's going on? Something took Clyde. Rob is suddenly wide awake as he twists around to view the back of back section of the Wrangler. I can see the realization dawn on his face as he understands what's happened. He turns back around and fumbles with the ignition. His eyes in the rear view are burning with desperate intention. He still thinks he can catch up with Clyde before he crosses the threshold. <sighs> Nothing's taken him, Lilith. Hold on. Rob, he's gone. We don't know that. We just gotta... Rob, he's gone. He already passed the junction. Rob's eyes flick to the rearview mirror, meeting mine. The engine stays running as he turns around to face me. How do you know that? The urgency has drained from the car replaced instead by a palpable air of inquiry. Lilith and Rob are both looking at me intently, and for the first time on the road, I feel like a figure of legitimate suspicion. I was with him when he crossed over. What the fuck? When was this? Last night, about 3 to 4 a.m., he said that he... 
In response to my words, Rob swings the driver's side door open and leaves the Wrangler. I watch him march out into the center of the road, his entire body tensed and strained by a swell of anger. I quickly climb out behind him. God damn it! Damn it, Bristol! Why in the hell did you let him- You weren't there, Rob. We were fucking yards away, Bristol. You didn't think to wake us up? Of course I did. He told me not to. Oh. Oh. Okay, well that's just fine then, is it? He'd made his decision, Lilith. None of us are going to stop him. Well, I certainly wouldn't have let him just fucking kill himself. You tied Bonnie to the fucking headrest, but you let Clyde waltz over the road without even telling us? That's a... That's a false equivalency. A false? Are you serious? Yes, of course it is. Bonnie wasn't herself. Clyde was capable of making an informed decision. His sister had just died. Of course he wanted to join her. That doesn't mean he let him fucking die. You might as well have helped him blow his fucking brains out. Lilith! Rob speaks the name harshly, forcing its owner into immediate silence. After letting the group breathe for a moment, he speaks calmly. Bristol, are you sure there was nothing we could do? I look into Rob. I look Rob in the eye. His words hit me harder than Lilith's impassioned tirade. Standing before the both of them at the intersection of their expect- expectant stares, I feel first inkling of doubt creep into my mind. What would have happened if we'd talked Clyde back into the Wrangler? If Rob had forced him to stay? Could he have found some reason to move forward if we had any had kept him for a night? A day? A week? All I can do is hold on to my recollection of the night before. Reminding myself of the sense of calm finality that radiated from Clyde when I confronted him. All I can do is trust that I made the right call. No. No, there was not. Okay. Well. Then there ain't nothing more to say. Rob walks to the back of the Wrangler, cutting the conversation short through the quiet resumption of his usual morning routine. Lilith storms back to the car and shuts herself inside. I'm left standing in the center of the road, wondering if I could feel any more wretched. I know what you did. Well, at least that answers my question. It seems that while I had been struggling to defend the validity of my actions to Rob and Lilith, Blue Jay had very quietly climbed out of her car, waiting patiently for the rest of the convoy to scatter before directing a victorious smile toward me. Can we not do this, Blue Jay? She responds to my words by ignoring them completely. I was up in the night watching you all. What a surprise when I saw you leave with Clyde and come back alone, calm as a fucking grave. I don't know if Clyde was in on your little game, but he sure as fuck wasn't happy with how far you'd taken it. He had to go, didn't he? I don't want to dignify her words with a response. In point of fact, I'm not entirely sure what I'd say to such an absurd accusation. Her statement rings with all the trademarks of paranoid conspiracy. The unnatural confidence, the vague language, the frenetic conclusions which are so obvious to her, yet seem impossible for me to grasp. In the end, Blue Jay doesn't wait for my response. I just want you to know that I am not falling for your fucking game, but you will not turn me around, and if you try anything like that with me, I 
will fucking kill you. I stare at the woman before me, her pupils two dark pools of venom, her smile curled into a crooked smirk of unadulterated contempt. Why didn't you talk to the hitchhiker, Blue Jay? Blue Jay's brow furrows, the smirk degrading degrading from her face. I don't wait for her response. I mean, now that we've seen what happens to people who spoke to him, it's fair to assume you didn't. Or am I wrong? Blue Jay presses her lips firmly together, glaring at me, the veins at her temples embossed against her taut skin. It's all right, Blue Jay. I was scared, too. I walk to the back of the Wrangler where Rob has pulled out the stove and four camping chairs. After helping him set them up in the middle of the road and allowing him to cook me a bowl of steaming hot rice, I sit down next to him and eat what I can. We can't think of anything to talk about, and the two remaining chairs stay empty for the rest of the meal. When I climb back into the Wrangler, Lilith seems quiet. She's less angry now, and as I've seen her before, as I've seen before with her, she is now being forced to confront the feelings her fury had been overshadowing. She shares a look with me in the rearview mirror, a look of being genuinely lost. I find myself reflecting the same expression as I stare back at her. And in that small sliver of glass, I think we both find a glimmer of understanding. An understanding that there have been no easy choices on this road, and that we should forgive each other and ourselves for the decisions we've had to make. After all, I wouldn't be surprised if there are hard choices ahead. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. It takes us less than an hour before we reach the woods. The drive has been predictably bereft of conversation. However, as the cornfields merge into deep green woodland and the thin opening we're we're supposed to take draws near, Rob breaks the silence with a customary all-cars address. Ferryman to all cars. Just want to say it's an honor taking the next corner with you all from here on out. We move slow. Report anything unusual and stay on the lookout for the next turn, okay? All right. Here we go. Rob twists the steering wheel. We turn in a slow, deliberate arc toward the gap in the forest. The tarmac disappears below us, giving way to a rough dirt track. A towering legion of knotted trees eclipse the convoy. The sun all but disappearing behind their thick canopy. The significance of this small turn of the road is not lost on me. We had finally crossed the threshold into the unknown reaches of the left-right game. For all we knew, we were the first people to ever have come this far, the first explorers of an entirely uncharted world. I'm not surprised when I realize I've been holding my breath. I examine my compatriots closely. Lilith isn't even looking out the window, Lost in her own tumultuous thoughts. That's a fucking shame. Yeah, it's, it's kind of creepy. Nah, yeah, because you're already fucking stuck there. At least enjoy your decision. Yeah. You chose to stay. Yeah. Rob is reacting exactly as I expected, looking out of every window with an air of mystified wonder. Well, I'll be. It's beautiful, ain't it? Well, what do you know? 
It's hey, one of them. People. It's one of them hey, Camino dots. <laughs> hey, <laughs> well, it depends. The entire D- depends the- on what decks, on how good your manners are, on how good big your cock is, <laughs> how big your cock is, how big your pockets are. You think there's Obi Wan decks porn out there? <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking Dex. I just realized I've been reading like him the entire fucking story. I just thought of it with that line, though. It's a good one. With your improv. Okay. Wait, no, it wasn't improv. It was well, like, I'll be. Well, I'll be. What do you know? <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> Hello, Dex. <laughs> you sexy little thing, you. <laughs> oh, shit. That's hilarious. You know what? You know what the cup of Java juice was for? Lubricant. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> she knew what was up. Oh, shut the fuck up. Obi Wan, you know what? He received it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Eyebrows. <clears throat> back to the story now. As I look away from him and back out the windshield, I find myself smiling. Even after the stressful morning we've all had and the uncertain day that lies ahead, Rob's statement rings with a joyous sincerity which I can't help but appreciate. I also can't help but agree with him in its own eerie way, it's a beautiful place. The Wrangler moves at a crawl for the rest of the day. The woods are vast and untamable. Thin, swooping branches hang lazily over the road, clattering against the light rig as we pass beneath them. Many of the trees stand at strange, crooked angles, their various disparate inclines making it impossible to see too far in either direction. Rob spends every moment scanning the sides of the road. The trees that flank us are so thick, so tightly packed together, it's easy to denote an upcoming turn. I suspect Rob simply doesn't want to take any chances, paranoid as he is about the road's deceptive qualities. He needn't have worried. There are only four turns across the entire afternoon. Each one is identified far in advance and navigated perfectly. Oh, so there's ident- there's like... Well, you can see, you know, like, he he's watching to make sure that, that nothing happens to throw him off of the next turn. As much as he is looking for the next turn, yeah. where I feel like when you see it coming, like you see the trees dip back a little bit and you're able to say, oh, okay, well, it's it's obviously not anywhere between here and 20 feet ahead of me because that's the first dip we've seen. So I think each time he probably gets a little bit more yeah. trusting, you know, but she says four turns in one fucking day. I'd hate to spend a night in these woods. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Before I know it, we've entered the early evening with no discernible end to the woods in sight. We've been traveling uphill for a short while, plateauing onto a thin thin stretch of road, an endless expanse of forest to our left, and a dangerously steep bank to our right. With one less side of the road to look out for, Rob seems a little more comfortable holding a conversation. So what are you going to do if you don't if if you get to the end of the road? Document it, bring it home, hand it over to the world. And after that? I guess I might take a vacation. Maybe I should visit London. 
You want to show me around? War Camino. <laughs> War Camino. <laughs> Kyberdad. You've never been to London. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and you've been Obi-Wan the whole fucking story. We've been Obi-Wan and Dex oh sitting in a fucking car together. Oh my god. You've never been to London, Dex. <laughs> never been to London. <laughs> Hello, Dex. Hello, Rob. Holy shit. Alice. <laughs> wow. I just passed by carrying packages. Never liked cities so much. Try to stay out of them when I can. Never liked I, the outer rim. I'd, <laughs> shit. I'd go if I had a tour guide, though. Ew, he's a creepy old man. No, he's nice. Well, I think, Rob, I think Rob knows how to act around Alice now. Imagine, though, the text that, that Rob... Imagine that we're, like, a text message or, like, a Facebook messenger message... Ha, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Alice says, Ha, okay. Well, that's my next story then. Rob Guthard takes on London. I don't think folk would want to listen to that. I don't know. I think people would tune in. Or are you just worried you'll grow to like the place? <laughs> Junior would never let me hear the end of that. Fair enough. Wait. Sorry? My son... Wouldn't let me forget it. He's always been a city boy. I stare out into the pitch black forest, suddenly thinking back to my arrival in Phoenix, Arizona just five days before. I recollect my formative meeting with Rob Guthard and how I'd been treated to the briefest overview of his life. I hadn't pushed far too much detail, wanting to hear the story in his own words and under the assumption that I could get more background after a short stint on the road. After four days of intrigue and horror and stress, I haven't had time for a follow-up. In all honesty, it's only now I think back on it that I realize just how little ground we covered in our first interview. How eager he was to skip past the formative details of his existence. I didn't know the names of his ex-wives or anyone who wasn't directly involved in his work with the paranormal. For example, I didn't know he referred to his son as Junior often used as a general nickname for a child, it can, every so often, mean something more specific. Is... does your son share the same name? Rob turns to me, confused. Yeah, did I never... Look out! Rob snaps forward as a fleeting blur darts across the road before tumbling down the steep verge to our right. Over the engine, we can hear rustles and thuds as it disappears down the steep hillside and into the deep forest below. What was that? Was that a deer? That's what it looked like. It went straight off the edge. Why would it do that? Ain't too bright is all. Guys, can we get moving? This is... I'm interrupted by the sound of faint rumbling emanating from the woods on the left side of the road. It's a... It's a... Stampede! <laughs> what is that? We ain't waiting around to find out. Rob kicks the car into gear and pulls down the track. Less than five seconds later, he slams the brake on once more, stalling the car as a small group of three or four deer burst out in front of us. A few more can be heard skittering behind the Wrangler, slamming against the back of the Jeep as they hurriedly negotiate the gap between us and Blue Jay. As Rob works to restart the car, I stare out the window and into the forest, finally aware of what I'm hearing in the trees. 
the thunderous sound of hooves hammering against the earth, brushing past the undergrowth, struggling over rocks and branches all their way towards us. In no time at all, the forest erupts from empty darkness into chaotic, violent life, as an unbroken horde of frenzied deer burst out from the trees. I can only, like... Like, I've, I've been in one of those people who's driving really fast in the middle of the woods. Like, I've had to commute everywhere mm. from Bucks County to northeastern PA, like Nepa, like Scranton, um, doing back roads. Like, Dallas, PA. Like, did anyone know that there was a Dallas, PA? Because it belongs in Texas. Anyway, um, there are just trees fucking everywhere. And... I have been one of those people who's going like 80 miles per hour around a turn and a deer jumps out in the middle of the fucking road and scares the living shit out of me. Yeah. Luckily, I've never hit one yet, but it always fucking gets me, man. Mm-hmm. This is terrifying. Yeah. Rob tries to tell us to hold on, but he doesn't have time. The path ahead floods with hundreds of stampeding deer an unbroken torrent that blocks out the headlight's beam. Lilith jumps back from the passenger door as deep, thudding nails vibrate through the Wrangler. The deer, locked in a desperate sprint with a little, little space to maneuver, are running headfirst into the side of the car. One of the smaller deers bolts out of the forest, hits the deep green metal just below my window, the reverberation shaking the glass. I think I hear its neck snap. The ones that get past the car aren't faring better. Locked in a frantic state and forced along by their equally desperate cohorts, I can only watch as they spill over the edge of the, st the steep hillside. Countless bodies crash into the darkness, carried, carried down into what I can only assume is a quickly developing mass grave of twisted interlocking bodies. Rob, get us out of here. We ain't moving through this, just stay down. What the fuck is... Somebody help! <laughs> Blue Jay sounds terrified. The Wrangler is taking a beating from the onslaught of desperate creatures, but is still managing to hold firm. When I look back towards Blue Jay, I see a different story entirely. The car is lying at an angle pushed towards the edge of the hill by the sheer force of the herd's collective impact. The passenger side is on display, riddled with slick red marks and heavy craters dents. The creatures rush past her clumsily, clambering over the hood and hammering into the doors of the car. Blue Jay screams into the receiver, placing a hand over her eyes as one of her front tires passes over, her th over the edge, the car's chassis dropping down into the dirt. Luckily for her, when I turn back to the forest, I can see it's emptied, I can see it's emptied dramatically. The flood has subsided, and the last few deer are pelting through the trees and across the road, their position at the back of the herd providing them with more than enough space to maneuver around the convoy. Ferryman to Blue Jay, get yourself over here, we gotta go now. What the f- What the fuck was that? What the f- It was just a herd of deer, Blue Jay, but they- they were running pretty hard, and I ain't looking to meet where they were running. Ah. I ain't looking to meet whatever they were running from. We don't have time to get you back on the road. Get over here now. Nothing more can be heard from Blue Jay's radio except for static and a few intermittent gasps of breathless fear. God damn it. 
stay in the car, you two. Lilith, hand me the rifle. I ain't taking any chances out here. Lilith finds the rifle, hands it to Rob. Grabbing some supplementary ammo from the glove compartment, Rob climbs out and slams the door, marching through the dirt to Blue Jay's ruined car. I clamber into the back of the Wrangler, struggling over a pile of empty jerry cans and surveying the scene as it unfolds. I don't like the sound of that. In an almost Herculean effort, Rob wrenches the passenger... Okay, hold the hell on. Herculean effort. Dude, that that is not... The author put that in there on purpose. No, that's that's a comparative word. I've used that before in none. <sighs> I'm just, it's definitely similar to literally everything else we've been drawing. Yeah, well, I'm saying. But it is a word. What is a deri- what is his derivative? Hercules. What is this the 12 fucking labors of Rob Guthard? Guthard. Oh, Dex. <laughs> A kyber dot. That's a terrible Star Wars fan. I don't know this. I don't know his species name. You're ruthless. But if I knew it, in an almost. Oh, I did know the name. You're better than me. I did. It starts with a G, and what was his name? Knox in Clone Wars was one of them. Oh, the Jedi. Yeah, the dickhead. Yeah, yeah. Krell. General uh, Krell. Krell. Okay, I thought it was Knox. Um. Yeah, man. He was the same species. They were assholes. Yeah. In an almost Herculean effort, wink, wink, Rob wrenches the passenger side door open and holds his hand out for Blue Jay to take. I look on as she unbuckles her seatbelt, climbs out unassisted, and immediately launches herself at Rob, crying her eyes out oh, okay, that kind and of lashing at his chest with two clenched fists. She looks distraught, terrified, and violently angry. Rob stands there and takes it, whispering vague assurance to her as she unloads her terror and frustration into every wailing blow. Listen, little baby, you know I'm going to protect you. You know I got you, little boo. That's why I let you have your own car. You know I'm here for you, baby cakes. Come on. Come on, Blue Jay, we gotta go. Lilith, that sweet bitch, talks under her breath, willing Blue Jay's catharsis to speak. Catharsis? I'm pretty sure that's a Greek word. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> to speed itself along. I look at her, silently sharing her impatience. Then something catches my eye. Something in the distance behind Lilith, slowly making its way through the trees. Oh, is it a T-Rex? Oh, it's probably no, a T-Rex. it's probably like a fucking minotaur. <laughs> minotaur! <laughs> That would be that would be the final one, you know. The the road is the maze. They are Theseus. You know, yeah, that's it. At all, this is the this is the. I'm sorry, it's not a Minotaur. It'd be Cerberus. Oh, three headed dog. In the underworld. In this sense, yeah, probably it's that's a closer. I turn around and scramble to the front of the car, returning with radio transceiver. Rob, get back here. There's something in the forest. Hearing my warning crackle out from Blue Jay's car. Rob turns in my direction before alarmedly staring into the forest, where a pale figure is winding its way towards the pair. From what I can ascertain, as it briefly leaves the obscuring undergrowth, it seems to be a small wolf, tremendously thin and crawling unevenly on his hands and feet. Hands? On its, on its hands and feet. Hands? Oh. The creature stops in a clearing ahead of Rob and Blue Jay in view of me and Lilith. 
but shrouded from everyone in the shadow of the forest. Blue Jay separates from Rob, pulling a head torch out of her bag. It's almost nighttime. It is. They've spent it. It's, yeah. Yeah. Blue Jay pulls out this torch. She pulls out a head torch out of her bag. Slowly and with trembling fingers, she points the beam towards the creature and switches it on. The resulting sight is incomprehensible. The beam instantly illuminates the light frame of a thin, almost emaciated child. It's barely over a year old, deathly pale, covered in dirt, its skin stretched taut over frail limbs. It stares up at Blue Jay, reflexively holding one arm over its eyes to shield itself from the bright LED light. Oh my god, what's happening to it? I know exactly what Lilith's talking about. My hand raises to my mouth as I watch the child struggle through the stream of harsh white light. With every step it takes, the child's form starts to shift and change. Its limbs elongate in jagged, lurching bursts of growth. Anything exposed to the beam develops with grotesque rapidity. Wow, never heard that word before. It's Greek. Interesting. (laughs) It's as if the child is aging before our eyes. Letting out a tortured cry, the creature darts toward Blue Jay, angrily swatting the torch from her hand, from her grip. Blue Jay screams in shock and pain as she holds out her stricken hand, her attention transfixed on the child, who has seemingly aged almost three years in a matter of seconds. Even in the fresh darkness with her head torch fractured on the ground, I can tell that Blue Jay is paralyzed with an abject and consuming horror. Rob, I think that might be the first thing that she's seen that, like, can't be faked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, something she causes. Yeah. Rob doesn't hesitate. He reflexively grabs Blue Jay and pulls her backwards into the path of her headlights. The creature reaches out for them as they go, one hand passing after them into the light. It pulls back quickly, its eyes full of heart-wrenching, juvenile tears. The fingers of its left hand aged beyond the rest of its body. Its cries begin anew. As ghastly as it seems, the child does not seem malevolent or demonic. In fact, as it looks back towards Blue Jay, it seems genuinely upset, unable to comprehend the actions of those around him. As it stares sorrowfully back at its newly malformed fingers, it's not much of a stretch to assume the transformations are as painful to endure as they are disturbing. Stay in the light, Blue Jay. Keep moving. Blue Jay breaks away from behind Rob and sprints toward the Wrangler. As soon as she begins to flee, the child lets out a high-pitched scream and strikes the hood of Blue Jay's car. The impact of the blow is impossibly forceful. In less than an instant, the chassis crumples into a mass of jagged metal. The one remaining headlight disappears from view as the car is launched off the path and rolls into the valley below. Can I add that in the Divine Comedy, one of the circles of hell is for those who commit suicide and for all the babies unbaptized. There's like demon baby, well not demon, but they're babies that are... Children that were cast down into hell because they were never blessed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guarantee you that Blue Jay has lived a very long and sad life and has more than likely aborted several children. 
in order to continue living her... How many people were there in the... Terrible life. At one point, there were like eight people. Yeah, rather. These four... Eve, Apollo, Ace... Clyde. Clyde. Bonnie. Nine. Nine. Yep. With Rob and Blue Jay now returned to the darkness, the child skitters quickly towards Blue Jay, grabbing her foot as it lifts off the ground and yanking yanking it backwards. With all her momentum immediately halted and one foot taken out from beneath her, Blue Jay has nowhere to go but down. She slams into the earth, her chin bouncing off a sharp rock. Blue Jay looks up at, at us with stunned, pleading eyes, Lilith and I have only a few seconds to meet her gaze before she is dragged backwards along the ground. She screams in pain, her ankle caught in the child's iron grip. It doesn't even break pace as it walks back towards the woods, pulling Blue Jay along like a ragdoll. Rob reaches out for her, snatching for Blue Jay's hand as she writhes and thrashes against an unstoppable force. They connect briefly, but Rob's effort to keep a hold of her is futile. Dashed immediately, immediately as she is pulled effortlessly from his hands. Blue Jay resorts to clawing at the ground, dragging thick, dark soil and pulling loose rocks free from the dirt. Rob somberly unstraps his rifle, swinging it around to his front. He reaches into the breast pocket of his jacket and chambers a single bullet. Blue Jay looks on as Rob raises his rifle to his shoulder and aims for the back of the oblivious child's head. Oh, God. Lilith turns away from the window, cowering away from the insanity outside the car. I can barely watch myself as Rob places his finger on the trigger. The shot never comes. Blue Jay shrieks as the child reaches the tree line, pulling her into the undergrowth. Rob's hands are shaking, unable to do what needs to be done. Cursing loudly at the air itself, Rob lets the rifle fall to the ground. He stands immobile as Blue Jay's screams continue to emanate through the trees. His expression has been worn by everyone on the road. Like all of them, he's no longer present, lost to a realm of hopelessness and bewilderment. But unlike many others, he doesn't stay that way for long. Unlike the rest of us, Rob Guthard manages to bring himself back. Bristol! There's a torch in the green bag. Get it now. I don't have time to hesitate. I scour the contents of the Wrangler desperately, Blue Jay's screams growing increasingly distant with every passing second. Locating a large green bag in the far corner, I crawl outside the Wrangler, unfasten the straps, and spill its contents into the car. A heavy-duty LED torch clangs against the cabin floor, and I snatch it up before they can roll. it can roll away. Returning to Rob, I swing the back doors open and jump out onto the dirt track, throwing the torch toward Rob's outstretched hand. As soon as he catches it, Rob sprints out into the forest, leaving me behind, leaving me and Lilith behind. The events that unfold among the trees are told to us in sound and light. After almost a minute of silence, the torch's rays burst through the trees. Blue Jay's distant screaming intensifies as the child breaks into a gut-wrenching cry. 
A large crash echoes through the night air, the sound of bark crackling as the very trees shatter into splinters. The light dances chaotically as Rob lets out a cathartic, damaged roar. Suddenly, the child's desolate wailing grows more distant, retreating deep, deep into the woods, and then suddenly, silence. Bristol, what's... what's happening? I don't know. Stay in the car. We wait for what seems like an age, lost in worry, before the gentle rustling of undergrowth calls our attention back to the tree line. A moment later, Rob emerges from the trees, holding Blue Jay's arm around his shoulder. Just the arm, no, kidding. <laughs> oh, thank God. Thank God. The pair stumble over to us, slowly and painfully. Blue Jay walks with a limp. Her ankle is horribly bruised. Rob sports a series of cuts across his face, but seems otherwise unharmed. He calls back to us, utterly exhausted. Nothing to it. An irrepressible smile grows across my face, a pained grimace of sincere joy. I raise a hand to my mouth as tears of unbridled relief start to roll down my cheeks. Those sweet-ass cheeks. Oh, Alice. You're a brave girl. You've gone through a lot. You just need a squeeze. Please continue. <laughs> it's a brief, fleeting moment in an otherwise dark night. But for once, we've managed to pass through the storm battered and broken, but at the very least, still together. Blue Jay falls to the floor, slipping free of Rob's grip and unable to hold her own weight. Rob turns around to look for where she's fallen and finds her crawling slowly towards the steep verge. Blue Jay. Denise. You okay? Blue Jay stops crawling, places her hands on the ground, and rises unsteadily. I suppose she can stand on her own after all. Once she's finally upright, she turns back towards Rob, raising his rifle to her shoulders and fixing it on his torso. My smile vanishes. Denise, what are you? Put it down. It was a child, Rob. It was a child. It. What did you... Oh my god, Bristol, what's happening? Stay in the car, Lilith. Oh. Denise, you've seen it just as much as me. You saw what it did. It. it tore at my. it broke the skin. How? Why are you doing this? Denise? Denise, you know what you saw, okay? You know this is real. We ain't doing this to you. It's happening. To all of us, it's... Rob stares at Blue Jay, and then down to the rifle, the sights boring into his chest. Okay, okay. How about we turn the car around? Right now. I'll turn us around, and I'll take you back home, and I'll drop you off outside the tunnel... Safe and sound. I just want to get you home safe. What do you say? Blue Jay looks into Rob's eyes. The rifle quivers in her hands. 
We all wait, scarcely taking a breath, for Blue Jay's response. I don't believe you. The shot echoes around us. Rob falls to his knees. A look of surprise and disbelief carved into my face. Sorry, into his face. Yes, no, readers, yes, my face. Me reading this right now is disbelief. A look of surprise and disbelief carved into his face. A plume of dark red blossoms around his shoulder. There's no air in my lungs. My entire body is paralyzed by the, the, the shock, by the rank unfairness, the sheer impossibility of the scene before me. I still don't understand how it could possibly be happening. Oh my god! Oh my god, no! Blue Jay quickly paces up to Rob, snatches a handful of ammunition from his breast pocket, and reloads the rifle with practiced efficiency. She stopped shaking. In fact, there's a calm conviction to her movements, which convinces me with shocking immediacy that I might be about to die. I dive back into the Wrangler, slamming the door behind me. I find Lilith Lilith gripped by an immediate immobilizing shell shock. We need to go. Lilith, we need to go, okay? I don't... I don't understand. Get out of the car, both of you. I'll kill him. I will kill him. Do you, do you think she's going to kill us too? No. No. She was going to shoot... Oh. I thought she shot him. Oh, never mind. She did shoot Rob. She shot him in the shoulder, not in the chest. Oh, okay, okay. I see, I see. No, no. She was going to shoot Rob in the chest, but she aimed away at the last minute. She's just bargaining. Bargaining? She wants us out of the car. I think she's going to take the Wrangler. If she leaves us here, we'll die anyway. I know. Well, we... We can't fight her. One of us will... Get the fuck out of the car, both of you. I want your hands where I can see them. It's okay. It's okay. Here, take this. I reach down and grab the walkie-talkie, pressing it into Lilith's hands. It's a short sprint to the tree line. We need to get round to the hood of the car, then we get into the woods as soon as there's an opening, okay? I... I can't do this, Bristol. I'm sorry, Lilith. You're going to have to. I gently open the driver's side door, climbing out and edging along the muddy verge, keeping low to avoid Blue Jay's line of sight. Lilith climbs out after me, closing the door softly behind us. Without making a sound, conscious of every rustling leaf that passes underfoot, I gesture for us to make out way around to the Wrangler's hood. Lilith goes first, staying below the windows, working her way to the front of the car and passing around the corner. From the hood of the Wrangler, we'll be able to make a beeline to the trees. Don't play fucking games with me! Before I can make my way around to join Lilith, Blue Jay's impatience boils over. I can hear her footsteps on the rough ground as she makes her way over to the Wrangler, the situation rapidly spiraling further from my control. There's only one thing I can do to stop her from discovering the both of us. We're coming out! I raise my hands and stand up, making my way to the back of the Wrangler. Blue Jay stops walking before she gets far enough to notice Lilith. She turns to face me, raising the rifle to her shoulder. A moment later, I hear Lilith burst out from her hiding place, sprinting into the trees. 
Blue Jay quickly realizes what's happened, and with a yell of violent frustration, turns the rifle to face the tree line. Lilith already disappeared into the dark forest, out of range and out of sight. I choose not to attempt to rush Blue Jay in the, in the midst of this distraction. I'm right not to. Realizing Lilith is lost to her, Blue Jay quickly spins back round towards me and levels the rifle at my chest. I knew you were all in this together, you fucking monsters. Her eyes are practically bulging from their sockets. Her entire face contorted in malicious, sickeningly righteous hatred. After all these days on the road, I've never seen something quite like this. You're not well, Blue Jay. No. No. I'm not just willing to fall for your fucking tricks. How could this all be a trick, Blue Jay? How? Apollo? Eve? Bonnie? You saw what happened to them. It's beyond our understanding, mine and yours. There's no such thing as fucking magic. Only fools and fucking frauds. There it was. In one sense, the trigger for Blue Jay's creeping insanity. The inflexible belief that had broken her mind against a maelstrom of contradiction. With every impossible event she had witnessed, every brutal death that had unfolded in front of her, Blue Jay's unwavering skepticism had barred her from the blaming from blaming the supernatural, from blaming the road. Instead, she had blamed us, a swiftly dwindling pool of conspirators whose crimes had swiftly spiraled from deception to reckless endangerment to outright murder. As far as Blue Jay was concerned, we were the only monsters on this road. This wasn't madness, it was self-defense. It doesn't matter anymore, you can just go home, okay? But just... Uh, at least take Lilith with you. Please, she is not a part of this. I'm not a fucking retard, Alice. Don't you think I'm, I've been watching? You are all complicit, and as far as I'm concerned, you can all fucking walk. I'm sorry. I just don't think I can let you do this. She laughs a sarcastic, ugly chuckle, holding the right, sorry, holding the rifle tight against her shoulder. I can't see how that's your decision. Well, that's always been your issue, hasn't it, Denise? You lack imagination. I step backwards, allowing gravity to carry me over the threshold of the steep, dark slope. In the last few seconds before I topple into the darkness, I clench the fingers of my left hand. When I'd been holding both my hands, my empty palms faced vertically towards her. Blue Jay could have easily mistaken the band around my finger for jewelry. As I fall backwards, Blue Jay's eyes fixed on my now-closed fist as she sees what's attached to the other side of the ring. A bottle opener, a small LED torch, and the ignition key to the Wrangler. I disappear over the edge, bracing myself for what's to come. With nothing else to do, I surrender myself to the long fall, followed into the darkness by the enraged screams of Blue Jay. So she jumped off with the keys. Mm-hmm. Surprised she just didn't throw them. It's interesting. I mean, she. I don't think she expects to die. I just think she's essentially saying, well, you can't leave without me. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Like, you're... You know, this, this decision is mine. I'm the one holding the power. You just have a gun. Um... 
it, it was a fun part, and we always kind of, uh, you know, background level, were always kind of aware of Blue Jay's imminent betrayal to the group. Um, she's just been a cunt the whole time. For a minute, I thought she was going to die. I had hoped she would. Honestly, I thought that would have been a good way for her to go, dragged yeah. off by a little creepy kid that did crazy things with his body pots. It's fun. <clears throat> yeah. What do you think of that part? That was creepy. Um, yeah, definitely interesting. <laughs> Is that all you got? My ball hurts right now. Yeah, can we get this over with? My balls hurt. Yeah. That's a line from an Ego Raptor video. <laughs> oh. Hi, guys. Apologies for the removal of this log a second ago. Not sure why that happened. And I should also apologize for the delay in posting recently. If I could... I just... I want to skip this entire guy's part of the story. If it wasn't so important, I, I would. Oh, the narrator? Yeah, like, stop with the fucking... Alice's friend. You can't forget that. <sighs> that he... Alice's old friend. Yeah. From... From bloody old England. If I could dedicate all my time to finding Alice, then I would. Sadly, I need to work as many Christmas shifts. Obviously, he doesn't give a shit about Christmas! It was just Christmas! That's also weird. As I can get my hands on, especially now I've decided that I can't continue the investigation effectively from my flat in North London. I've been thinking about it for a while, and I've decided that after Christmas, I'm going to be flying out stateside to follow up on the lead you guys have provided. Hopefully, once I'm there, I might be able to make some real headway. In the meantime, please keep any and all insights coming, however small I really do read all of them. Okay, here's the next log. Left-right game. February 14th, 2017. In the brief interlude before I hit the ground, I find myself alone with the stars. As I fall backwards towards the slope, my gaze rising to meet the night sky, I feel a sudden weightlessness take a hold, as if I'm being granted an audience with the heavens. The rich and endless firmament shines down through the canopy with no earthly light to dull its glow. Despite everything that's happened, I'm unable to ignore how magnificent it all is, how gracefully detached from the ugliness below. Though the moment lasts no more than a second, it feels longer, like I've been gifted some fleeting respite, a transient sliver of time in which to appreciate the calm and quiet cosmos. A moment to escape, however briefly, from the events that are to come. I don't know how much longer the moment might have lasted. I suppose I never will. It's with a sense of genuine sadness that I turn myself away, twisting my body around in midair. The stars disappear from my view, and I'm left staring down the slope into the valley's dark, uncompromising depths. My commune with the heavens has ended, and I'm returned to the cold, unforgiving earth. It doesn't welcome me back. I hit the slope, immediately bouncing off one shoulder and landing on the other, barreling forcefully and unstoppably downhill. My entire body is thrown into chaos, tossed into a frenetic, uncontrollable dance, swept along by the rushing earth towards the impatient valley floor. 
The back of my ankle flails against a hard, jagged rock. My face rolls into a small bloom of stinging nettles, their caustic leaves scraping against my cheek. I battle to bring order to my descent, my hands grasping at the undergrowth, clawing through loose soil in a frenzied search for stability. Rocks and dirt cascade around me as I pull myself onto my back, finally managing to descend with my feet pointed downhill. I've regained control just in time, looking ahead to see a large tree bursting out of the hill a few meters below me, a split second before I would have collided with the thick, knotted trunk. I throw myself to the side, my wrist ricocheting against the bark and sending a shooting pain down my arm. The valley's base comes into view, hurtling towards me as I plummet through the rustling undergrowth. I can make out the bodies of the deer who had made this hazardous journey before me. I can hear the pained braying of the survivors moaning in hollow resignation as they struggle to stand on broken legs. And a moment later, I join them. The slope doesn't level out gradually, just before the bottom, the sharp incline I've been hopelessly traversing drops off into sheer rock face. Before I can stop myself, I'm launched from the slope, kicking dirt into the air. I've spent the final three meters in freefall, before landing on my hands and knees, my whole body subject to a complete bone-rattling halt. My body tensed and aching, I pick Myself up off the valley floor, the second I stumble onto my feet, a harsh beam of torchlight strikes the ground to my right. My muscles groaning, I jump back against the natural rock wall as the light swings my way, sweeping directly over the spot where I just landed. Blue Jay is looking for me. I would have expected nothing less. The beam glides along the ground. Scanning the base of the slope, lighting up the twisted bodies of countless deer. Fortunately, the shadow cast by the rock wall offers a measure of sanctuary, shielding me from the torch's restless glare. About a half a minute after it arrived, the beam rises through the trees and cuts out. I don't expect her to come after me. I certainly don't expect her to drop down the slope. Perhaps she could walk back down the road, take a gentler route downhill, and pursue me through the valley once it levels out, but that walk would probably take half an hour each way. If I were her, I wouldn't want to leave the Wrangler unprotected that long. This is where I feel the need to to mention, like, isn't her jumping off the road at the wrong point? Wouldn't that be considered, like, taking the wrong turn? It's not a vehicle. That's true, and, and it's not a road. And, and is it past the threshold? To I don't know. Is there a point? Yeah, there's a certain point that if you walk, if you deviate from the road at a certain distance or something, then it's past the point where you can turn. That's true. This isn't the first time where she just walked off in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and she doesn't seem... I guess I gotta remember She that. seems relatively close. She's close. I just... She just is far down. Far down. Despite the fact that she's showing no signs of entering the valley, Blue Jay is clearly eager to locate me. The torch suddenly illuminates the damp soil ahead of me as she points it back down into the valley. I suspect she turned it off just long enough for me to feel overlooked, allowing me to consider stepping out into the open. I also suspect that, should the torchlight find me scrambling around the valley floor, a bullet will quickly follow it, putting me down to lie with the deer. From that point, all she need to do is walk down and slip the Wrangler's key from my cold, limp fingers. Catching my breath, my 
back pressed against the rough rock wall, I run through my current priorities. I need to stabilize Rob, I need to lure Blue Jay away from the Wrangler, and most pressingly, I need to contact Lilith. I reach to the back of my waistband, my hand searching for my personal walkie-talkie. My fingers touch denim, finding an empty space where the transceiver should be. My stomach drops as I search along my back. It's gone. I had it with me when I dropped onto the slope, but at some point during my furious descent, it must have gotten away from me. The torchlight swings back around once more. Though it's something I never thought I'd have to do, I find myself making a mental inventory of the convoy's radio transceivers. Before we set out onto the road, Rob handed a walkie-talkie out to each of us, and since then it's safe to assume that those belonging to Ace, Apollo, Eve, Bonnie, and Clyde are no longer in play. Lilith must have lost hers when her car sank into the ground, which is why I gave her Rob's before she ran into the forest. Hear it? <coughs> Saliva. That just left mine. Wait, was that the right line? Before she ran into the forest. That just left mine, which could be anywhere on the hillside, and Blue Jays. The torchlight disappears once more. I cautiously lean out from the shadows, scanning the forest around me. Blue Jay's walkie-talkie had been in her car when the child pushed it from the road, if I'm correct, then her transceiver is the only one left that I could use to contact Lilith. The car itself doesn't seem to be anywhere around me, but as I turn my head and scan the dark hillside, I can see it resting on the slope. The entire car has been stopped mid-fall, resting precariously on its side, the vehicle's crooked undercarriage crumpled around the trunk of an old battered tree. If I'm going to get in touch with Lilith, I'm going to have to climb up there. I edge along the rock until Blue Jay's car is almost directly uphill from me, turning around and running my hands against the damp, shrouded wall. I'm able to discern a few passable handholds. Placing my fingers into a large groove above my head, I jam my boot onto a small outcrop just above the wall and push myself upwards. It isn't an easy climb, my hands are cold, my arms are tired, and I am certainly not wearing the right shoes. My boots repeatedly slip from their holds, causing my arms to throb as they're forced to bear my weight. After painstakingly scraping up the first two meters, I run out of places to put my hands, my outstretched fingers, falling roughly ten inches short of the top. I take a quick breather, letting both arms straighten as I lean back and observe the wall above me. As the torch sweeps past overhead once more, it illuminates a small twisted root on the very edge of the cliff. I have no idea if I can reach it, and there's every chance it will give way immediately, causing me to topple helplessly back to the earth. However, I can already feel my grip weakening, a noticeable ache running up my forearms. I am not going to be able to stay where I am much longer, and I suspect I won't have the energy to make it this far again. Edging my feet up, scrabbling the sides of my boots against the wall, it sticks in place. I bend my legs slightly, poising myself to make the jump, gritting my teeth, and with a sharp, tentative intake of breath, I swing myself up in the air and let go of the wall. I feel grossly vulnerable, hanging in the air with nothing but a harsh fall below me and a harrowing climb waiting above me. I throw my arms forward as I hit the peak of my jump and just manage to catch the root with both hands. A heavy jolt wretches my shoulders, threatening to yank me back to the ground. 
Fear and adrenaline alone sustain my desperate grip, my arms on fire as I swing my leg up to the ledge, hooking my heel over the top after a few clumsy attempts. I force myself over the edge and onto the soft soil just in time for the torchlight to start circling back towards me. Is, is she fucking Laura Croft now, all of a sudden? I guess so. With one final surge of effort, I push my aching body upright and struggle over the nearest tree, falling at its base and pressing myself against the bark. The light travels quickly, there's the tree's darkening shadow swing over from the right, covering me and then fading against as it stretches out to my left. The light leaves me in darkness, certain to return soon as Blue Jay continues her frenzied surveillance. It started to rain a little, a few sporadic droplets fall through the sparse canopy and land on my outstretched palm. It doesn't take long before these scouts are reinforced by a steady downpour drumming against the leaves and grass soaking through the loam. Loam? Loam. Yeah, loam. The already punishing incline is going to prove completely unclimbable if the rain has enough time to slick in the grass and pound the soil into mud. I also doubt I'll be able to make the initial climb again, especially if the rock wall becomes coated in a layer of cold rain. As much as I have to move quickly up to the car, I also need to move carefully. It's becoming increasingly clear that this will be my only attempt at reaching the radio. The vehicle is only a short climb away. I can see its undercarriage laying against the tree, the entire left side of the vehicle pressed into the ground. Only now I'm nearby do I hear the ominous creaking sound that emanates from the car as it rocks almost imperceptibly around a thin focal point. I wait for the torchlight to swing past me once more before pulling myself out from the shadow of the tree. My dirt-covered hands grasping at any conceivable purchase, I crawl up the bank towards Blue Jay's vehicle. My feet slip on the grass with every other step as the rain seeps into the ground, soaking through my fleece. I'm completely exposed as I make my way towards the car. Though it remains a constant concern, the torch seems to be exploring another section of the hill as I arrive beneath the chassis, the undercarriage loaming imposingly over me. I briefly glance up to check on Blue Jay's movements, then slowly steadying myself against the incredible incline, I climb out into the open once more and pull myself up until I'm in line with the warped, twisted hood. Blue Jay's transceiver is still fastened within its dock. Despite the car's battered condition, the windshield is frustratingly intact, with nothing more than a small, jagged, irregular hole near its center. It will take a bit of maneuvering, but it should be just big enough to reach through and pull the radio free, slowly and tentatively. I thread my arm through the center of the opening shards of serrated glass encircling my skin. My hand reaches the dashboard, slowly brushing along its surface towards the walkie-talkie as I lean into the car. The torchlight starts to swing back across the hill. Blue Jay is walking along the edge in a frantic mission to find me. In my current position out in the open and trapped in a slow and delicate procedure, there's no way I can get out of the way in time. My hand grasps the transceiver as the light reaches me, though I'm ashamed to admit it for a brief moment, drowned in the revealing glare of the torch's beam, I'm stunned into inaction. The light has stopped, 
moving, fixed directly on me, casting my stark shadow down into the valley. I can imagine Blue Jay's triumphant glare as her desperate search is finally rewarded. Returning to my senses, all too late, I grip my teeth and wrench the walkie-talkie from its dock. With no time for grace or care, I retract my arm from the windshield, inhaling sharply as an aberrant shard of glass scrapes along the back of my hand. It turns out I have greater things to worry about as I hear a loud bang from up the top of the hill, followed instantaneously by a disgusting zipping sound that flashes past my ear. I flinch instinctively from the nose, my sudden reaction causing my boots to give way beneath me. I slam into the earth and careen down the hill. What little control I have over the slope, I give away in a desperate bid to roll into the car's shadow and out of light. Why is Blue Jay like the boss fight? Yeah, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a fucking sequence from so many games. So many games. I don't have time to right myself as I'm dragged chaotically down towards the valley and cast over the edge once more. The base of the valley flashes into view mere seconds before my body slams into it. The air is ripped out of my lungs, my pained cry forming a visible plume of steam that dissipates into the cold night air. I lay on my side, cradling the walkie-talkie in my hands. At the very least, I had managed to keep a hold of it. The torch dances erratically around my position. I pick myself up and drag my body the last few meters, collapsing against the wall as torch beam lights up the ground in front of me. As I raise the radio, I realize my hands are violently shaking. I don't think I've ever been as close to death as when the bullet passed by me, and although the noise itself died quickly, its horrific implications echo in my skull. Blue Jay shot Rob as a bargaining chip to drag us out of the Wrangler. It was a show of force, a power play. The bullet that she just fired in my direction had no nuance, no pretense, no objective other than its primary function. Blue Jay's prepared to kill me, which means she's prepared to kill any of us. I raise the transceiver and switch through the channels until I find Rob's frequency. This is Bristol to Lilith. Bristol to Lilith, do you copy? The radio crackles as I release the button. I wait 20 interminable seconds for Lilith to respond, and she doesn't. This is Bristol to Lilith. Can you hear me? This time I let a minute pass, still nothing. Everything I've been struggling for since I jumped into the valley has come up against a wall of silence. I feel a swell of frustration inside me. It isn't fair. Jen? Jen, are you there? Another minute goes by. I sit in silence the whole time, watching as the radio I risked my life to collect transforms into a useless hunk of plastic. After a while, I loosen my grip and let it drop into the wet soil. I bring my legs up to my body, wrap my arms around them, and rest my head against my knees. In a moment of rest, my breathing becomes shallow. A set of fresh tears well up behind my eyes, spilling out down my face. The rain falls around me as I quietly cry, sitting in the middle of a dark forest, muddied, injured, and alone. Laura Croft never cried to herself, though. This is Alice. I'm... Hey, it's back! 
I'm ripped out of my melancholy as the rain is blasted in every conceivable direction, whipping against my face and spattering against the rock with incredible force. The air is whipped into a furious maelstrom, and a familiar booming sound crashes through the ether. I've watched you struggle. Yeah, that's exactly what we did last time. It works. It does work. It sounds really cool. As soon as it arrives, the voice is gone. The wind quiets down and the rain begins to drop vertically once again. Hello? Hello? Who is that? The air is still absent of everything but the rain. I wipe the tears from my face as I call out to the air. Can you help me? Please, can, can you just... The voice has disappeared, and I suspect I won't be hearing it again anytime soon. Perhaps it just wants me to know that it's watching. One thing is certain, if the voice is attempting to bring me comfort or make me feel less alone, then its methods are horribly <laughs> misguided. <laughs> Alice, are you there? My eyes fixate on the crackling radio. Alice? Alice, are you there? Alice, are you still there? I'm sorry, I couldn't... Jen, Jen, are you okay? Are you safe? Yeah, I'm okay. I thought you were... Well, yeah. What happened to you? <laughs> I, uh... Well, I jumped down the hill. Nothing much. <laughs> What's new with you? Spent some time on the hill. I jumped down the hill, got Blue Jay's walkie. She shot at me. How have you been? How have you been? <laughs> well, she's gone fucking crazy. I made it to a clearing in the woods. It's straight on from the car, or at least I hope it is. I still haven't seen that that thing anywhere. I think Rob shot it in the back well, of the head. It's a big forest. Maybe it's gone. Can you stay near the clearing? Yeah, I can keep hidden nearby. What are you going to do? As I'm going to make my way to you, we're going to get Blue Jay away from the Wrangler. How? I'm still working on that. I'm about half an hour away. Keep your volume down, but stay in touch, all right? Yeah, okay. Okay, will do. I'm glad you're all right, Alice. Yeah, you too, Jen. I fasten the radio to my waistband. My body still aches from the fall, blood dripping slowly from my hand, and my fingers are almost numb from the cold. Yet hearing Lilith's voice, Lilith's mm -hmm. voice on the other end of the radio has brought back something I lost in the valley. A sense of resolve that jumpstarts my tired muscles, pushes me to my feet, and sets me off to rejoin the road. I'm still stuck in the middle of a dark forest. I'm still muddied, bloodied, and injured, but I'm no longer alone. It isn't long before my boots hit asphalt. I follow the road, sticking to the tree line as I work my way back up the hill. I'm reluctant to place myself within sight of the Wrangler, where Blue Jay will almost certainly be camped out and waiting. Unfortunately, it's the only point of reference in an otherwise unknowable forest, the only location from where Lilith's location can be divined. Once the road levels out, I take the precaution of heading deeper into the trees. The road is almost impossible to see now, but I'll need the cover if Blue Jay is still on the lookout. Even though I'm only a few meters deep, the woods fill me with a palpable sense of unease. Every shadow feels predatory. Every twig that snaps under my foot sounds like a crack of a whip. 
When the Wrangler comes into view, Blue Jay is nowhere to be seen. Curiosity getting the better of me, I creep closer to the road, observing the scene as the trees thin out. The place is deserted, with neither Blue Jay or Rob anywhere to be seen. I have no idea what could have forced her to move him. Perhaps he managed to get away. Something feels wrong. Creeping up to the Wrangler, I find the passenger side window broken. A thousand splinters of glass spilled across the ground, trodden in the mud. The glove box has been left open. The boxes of ammunition either emptied or removed. The next thing I notice makes my blood run cold and forces me to curse my own stupidity. The light on the CB radio is on. Uh, When I'd reached the bottom of the hill, I'd correctly calculated the number of active radios, arriving at the conclusion that only me and Lilith would be able to communicate. Technically, I'd been right. We were the only two who could talk, but that didn't mean we were the only ones who could listen. I'd forgotten that the CB radio in Rob's car had its own independent battery and inbuilt speakers. Most importantly, he'd been using it throughout the trip to broadcast and receive across all our frequencies. I switched the frequency of the walkie to a random channel, lift the receiver to my mouth, and hold the talk button. Bristol to all cars. My voice crackles out of the CB radio. Blue Jay must have known I was going to contact Lilith, and she'd broken into the Wrangler to spy on the conversation. I can't believe I didn't think about it before now. I switched the radio back to Lilith's frequency. Lilith, you need to get moving. Blue Jay heard us. She's not listening now, but she knows I'm meeting you near the clearing. Get yourself back here, okay? Lilith, can you hear me? Bring me the fucking key, Alice. My heart sinks now. Now it makes sense why Blue Jay wasn't guarding the Wrangler. She'd eavesdropped onto my conversation, and instead of waiting for me to get back up the hill, she'd gone after Lilith. Despite all my efforts, all my good intentions, I led Blue Jay right to her. Blue Jay, where's Lilith? She's here. I hear a refrain of quiet sobbing in the background of the call. I can hear Lilith meekly calling my name. Okay, okay. Let me speak to her. (laughs) What? No! No, no, you're not going to trick me again, Alice. You don't get to confer. You get to bring me the key to my fucking car, and then you get to walk yourselves back home. Now what about that do you need to fucking discuss? Blue Jay, this isn't... We're not your enemy, Denise, okay? Please, please, you have to believe me. You think I'll ever believe a fucking word you say? Bring me the fucking keys, and if you pull any more tricks, I will put a bullet in your fucking skull. Now, do you believe (laughs) that? I believe. Fuck off, bitch. (laughs) She waits patiently for my answer. I suddenly feel like we've entered an entirely new realm. Blue Jay has the upper hand, and under the threat of fierce, unthinkable consequence, we've become the subjects of her domain. Reason, diplomacy, and sanity no longer hold sway over proceedings. As long as she has Lilith remains at the end of that rifle, I'm beholden to her madness. Fine. Okay? I'm on my way. Good. You need to remember, Alice, I didn't want any of this. You brought me here. 
Blue Jay lets go of the button, returning me to a familiar silence. If I keep the keys from her, Lilith will be at her mercy, and although Blue Jay can't really afford to kill her bargaining chip, I have no doubt she'll be willing to hurt her as much as she needs to in order to force my compliance. If I let her take the Wrangler, however, we're both dead anyway. I take a moment to think through my options. It doesn't take long, there aren't many left. My journey through the forest is uncomfortable and rings with an unsettling finality. Like a guilty child heading towards an unavoidable reckoning, I'm overcome by a pervasive dread which builds with every shuffling step. I do my best to keep the Wrangler behind me, carving a straight line through the woods. All in all, it takes less than five minutes before the clearing opens up ahead of me. The final boss battle. Blue Jay is planted in the very center of a large glade, leaving too much exposed ground in every direction for me to even contemplate an ambush. Rob's torch lies at her feet, and she keeps both her hands firmly wrapped around the rifle. Lilith kneels beside her, the barrel of the gun placed against her temple, her tear-stained face contorted by a mixture of despair and vitriolic anger. Her hands rest against her lap, her wrists bound by some brand of cable ties I'd used to restrain Bonnie. I can imagine Blue Jay bristled with poetic justice when she ordered Lilith to fasten the bands around her wrists. They both see me as soon as I step out into the trees. You're late. I got turned around. Lilith, are you okay? Stop walking. Stop walking. Blue Jay grips the rifle more tightly, sending me an unignorable message. She's keeping me at a good distance. She knows it takes her a second or two to reload the rifle, and she wants me far enough back to allow time for at least two consecutive shots. Everything she does, every action she takes, demonstrates that she's preparing to act swiftly against us should anything untoward take place. Lilith, are you okay? I'm... I'm okay. I'm okay. Hand over the keys, Alice. Blue Jay, take her back with you, please. You don't have to let her... You can drop her off at a police station as soon as you're home, but just take her home. Hand me the fucking keys. Fine. I have them in my bag. Let me... Hey! Hey! What are you doing? Blue Jay snaps at me as I reach into my bag, pointedly jabbing the rifle against Lilith. Lilith cries with distress as the barrel repeatedly prods her temple. I take my hand out of the bag and slip it slowly from my shoulder. Every move I make is being considered a potential act of subterfuge. You know what I think's in that bag? I think a lot of C4's in that bag. <laughs> I think she's gonna blow Blue Jay up. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Anyway. Wow. Did you say fine, fine? No, I didn't. That's really <laughs> You're still stuck on the explosion. I don't know. That'd be fun. Fine. Fine. Here. Take the bag. I don't want it anyway. I swing my bag in a slow arc and throw it over to Blue Jay. It lands in the wet dirt about a meter in front of her. That's better. Blue Jay steps forward, momentarily letting the gun's barrel slip from Lilith's temple, and she quickly bends down and places the bag over her shoulder. Reaching in, extracting the key to the Wrangler, and placing it in her jacket pocket. In the fleeting seconds of distraction, I watch Lilith raise her hands high above her head and swing her elbow down to the sides in a single fluid motion. 
the zip tie snaps open, and without wasting a second, Lilith launches herself at Blue Jay, grabbing her waist from behind and trying to force her to the ground. Shocked at the suddenness of it all, but aware that this may be our only chance, I find myself sprinting across the clearing towards the pair of them. Okay, maybe no explosion. Hmm. Blue Jay is taken by surprise following Lilith's assault, but she adapts to the situation quickly. Planting one foot in front to brace her sudden momentum, she stops herself from being brought down. At the same time, she swings the stock of the rifle down on her side, where it meets Lilith's face with a sickening crack. You fucking bitch! Lilith is knocked onto her back, dazed and hurt. Without hesitation, Blue Jay swings the rifle down and fires a shot into the girl's stomach. I find myself trapped in the moment, as if reality itself is stunned by the madness taking place before it, unsure how it will continue on. The sound of the shot thunders through my consciousness, yet at the same time seems distant and otherworldly. I can't bring myself to speak, my lips uselessly parted as Lilith's fitful cries resound uninterrupted throughout the clearing. What have you done? What have you... Blue Jay is backing quickly away from Lilith, putting space between the two of us while she struggles to reload. She was right to keep me at a distance early on. She's given herself more than enough time to drive a second bullet into the chamber and click the bolt into position. No more tricks, Alice. Before I know it, I've broken into a final, desperate sprint, casting wet mud behind me as I dash towards the shelter of the tree line. I can imagine Blue Jay leveling the rifle, lowering her eye to the sights. <laughs> I think now she's going to set the bomb off. <laughs> okay, so I'm stuck on the bomb. The bomb is going to happen. Yeah, Blue Jay leveling the rifle, lowering her eye to the sights. Another shot echoes through the cold air, flying wide and perishing with a distant thud. Perishing with a distant thud. As I reach the edge of the clearing, I throw myself behind the thick trunk of the nearest tree. My back presses against the rough bark as I listen for any movement behind me. Twigs snap beneath Blue Jay's feet as she advances towards me. You did this to yourselves. You did this with your lies and your tricks and your fucking games. Well, I'm not fucking playing anymore. You know, this boss fight, no joke. No joke. A shot grazes the tree, ricocheting off into the woods. I can hear her beginning to strafe around my position, poised and ready to fire as soon as she gets an angle. I feel like it's like... Tarzan versus Clayton. It is Tarzan versus Clayton. <laughs> um, what else? It reminds me of Last of Us too. When you're running around the, um, when you're running, you're running around like the empty lodge diner from the pedophile because uh, Daddy O's sick and out of, you know, he's he's all uh, fucked off in bed. So mm. you're Ellie and you're running around the diner and you're dealing with this like ruthless older character. Mm who's just, like, willing to hurt anyone near you to get to you. It's just fucking nuts. You kept lying right until the end. Everything you've done, everything you are, you fucking monster. I will put a bullet in your skull, and I won't feel a fucking thing. Wow. From the moment she'd first opened her mouth, spilling her bitter, dogmatic cynicism into our group, I'd been waiting for Blue Jay to realize she was wrong. 
Every so often, in a quiet moment, I'd catch myself fantasizing about the stark and esoteric phenomenon that would stop her tongue and force her to accept the truth. I realized now there was never going to be such a moment that nothing lies beyond her powers of self-delusion. She was lost to us, lost to the road, a twisted woman driven mad by her own rationality. My hand slips into my pocket. You know what, Blue Jay? I believe you. The next thing I hear is a faint, nostalgic ringtone. A sudden, deafening bang. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking explosion! In the brief time I was afforded following my tense call with Blue Jay, I had taken one of Rob's knives to the block of C4, cutting away almost everything around the blasting cap. The block was less than a pound of weight when I'd slipped it into a compartment in the satchel and buttoned it up. When Blue Jay had asked for the key, I'd made sure to reach into my bag enthusiastically. I had a feeling she'd see my eagerness as a potential trap, allowing me a chance to throw her the satchel. She didn't trust anything I did, and it had made her predict. I step out from behind the tree and look towards Blue Jay lying broken on the forest ground, a large section of her abdomen removed by the blast, her arm, shoulder, and upper thigh virtually non-existent. She struggles to breathe as blood fills her airway. I was... I turn away from her and run towards Lilith. I drop to my knees beside her, grasping one of her hands. She grips my fingers weakly. Her eyes are starting to drift shut, opening again for briefer and briefer intervals. Hey, Jen. Hey. Hey, Alice. She speaks softly. (laughs) How you doing now? Her words hardly making it through the intense ringing in my ears. Try to stay awake, Jen. You're going to be alright. We'll stop the bleeding. We'll get you patched up. Back at the Wrangler. We've got Roswell in the spring. Once you're better, we'll go there together, okay, Jen? Jen? When she manages to open her eyes once more, the look she gives me is kind and heartbreakingly knowing. I can't help but think back to our time on the cliffside overlooking the vast ocean of fields. She'd asked how many people had died being told comforting lies. She asked how many of them knew. I can't speak for anyone else, but as she stares up at me, hushing me with a look, I can tell that she does. I wish we could have been friends for longer. I can't bring myself to speak. Every word seemed too small, too insubstantial, too wholly insignificant to be the last thing she might hear. All I can do is stare into Lilith's eyes as her faltering breath rises in clouds of pale steam, clouds that grow slowly thinner and thinner until nothing rises at all. I lay her hand on the ground and let her fingers slip gently from my grasp. My legs carry me over to Blue Jay. My hand reaches into her pocket and lifts out the key to the Wrangler. The metal is irreparably bent, with no hope of fitting back in the ignition. This was the potential outcome which has rendered the C4 as a last resort, only to be used if my life was in imminent danger. It has done its job. I was alive, but I was also stuck in the forest. I bet Rob has a spare on him. You bet? On his body, somewhere. I can't bring myself to care about that right now. My mind is numb to the concept 
to the concept of future suffering with no space left to contemplate tomorrow's potential trials. The horrors of the present are hard enough to face, my mind eclipsed by more darkness than I can process. The only glimmering shred of solace I can muster comes from the wishful belief that I've now seen all the terrors this night has to offer. As I turn towards the Wrangler, I find myself proven wrong once again. I stand stock still as the child's crooked form staggers out from the tree line. It looks markedly different now, a patchwork malformation of adolescent adulthood and old age. The face, however, is still juvenile and filled with an innocent sorrow as it lurches towards Blue Jay on uneven feet. It doesn't seem to have noticed me. I back away from Blue Jay and step slowly towards Lilith where Rob's LED torch still lies on the ground. The child reaches Blue Jay, observing her silent, mangled frame. Through my dampened hearing, I can just make out a heartbroken whine. I continue to back away as it lifts Blue Jay's limp arm, shaking it wildly as if attempting to imbue it with some semblance of animation. Frustrated tears dripping freely from its chin, the child throws Blue Jay's wrists back down against the ground. As it looks away from her broken body and turns to face me, I watch as the soft, innocent features contract into a scowl of juvenile rage, signifying the inceptive throes of a tantrum that could eviscerate anything in its path. In the last few seconds of calm, I feel my boot brush up against the torch, Bending slowly, keeping my eyes on the child for as long as I can, I reach down with my right hand and lift it from the ground. My hopes that I wouldn't have to use it are dashed instantly. The child drops onto its hands and legs, letting out a tortured, furious scream and races towards me with staggering velocity. I dodge out of the way at the last possible moment, hitting the soft dirt as the child skitters to a stop behind me. In the time it takes to turn itself around, I've already switched on the torch. Once again, the child is hit by a powerful beam of light. Its body lurches in spasms, its skin pulling and stretching over elongated bones, crying out in pain, its voice deepening with every passing second. The disjointed figure dashes in my direction, clasping my right arm in its hands and slamming me down onto the ground. Where are you, Rob? The torch swings wildly as the creature climbs on top of me, tearing the fabric from my right sleeve, digging its nails into the skin just above my elbow. It doesn't stop at the skin. It, it, I feel the hot, electric agony of scraped nerve endings, hear the sickening snap of breaking bone. Before I lose my chance forever, I throw the torch weakly from my right hand and catch it in my left, pressing the beam directly into the child's face. It screams, a scream of decades. The child's eyes roll back into its head, overpowered by the brutal onslaught the light has wrought. I look on as its face melts and flickers through adolescence, through adulthood and middle age. The tortured scream grows hoarse and weak as its skin wrinkles and sags, rushing beyond human years into an untouched realm of decrepitude. Eventually its eyes glaze over and its once powerful scream becomes nothing more than a grating rattle. 
I let the pitiful, lifeless creature fall to the ground beside me as I roll myself onto my knees. I stumble along the ground towards Blue Jay, falling repeatedly, a stream of red soaking into the soil behind me. Once I reach her, I use my left hand to unfasten the rifle's leather shoulder strap. I clumsily form the strap into a loop, passing it beneath my right shoulder. My head feels light, struggling to maintain focus. I grab a stick from the ground and place it through the knot of the loop, using my teeth to draw the knot securely closed around it. My left hand twists the stick over and over, each turn tightening the leather strap until it bites into my skin. The bleeding lessens, but not nearly enough. Picking up my tired frame, barely able to keep myself upright, I place one foot painstakingly in front of the other, struggling over the damp ground out of the clearing and into the trees. I need to get back to the Wrangler. I can feel everything starting to fade, even the ringing in my ears is dulled, my vision blurry, I lock the stick under my armpit, freeing up my left hand to brace me as I start to stumble against the trees. The more I lose of my faculties, the less capable I am of perceiving their decline, but I know they're slipping away all too quickly. As I struggle further through the woods, a figure steps out from the trees, stopping me in my tracks. I sway on my feet as I try to identify what I'm seeing, the very act of standing now requiring constant, dogged attention. I have never seen this figure before. It seems to be composed of a constantly shifting maelstrom of crackling monochromatic sparks. An electric cloud of black, white, and gray formed into a humanoid shape. As soon as it sees me, the humanoid creature falls backwards, scrabbling away from me across the ground, more terrified of me than I am of him. I don't know if the entity is malignant or benign, but in my current state, my mind softly screaming against the dying light, I can't make the distinction. As it backs up against a mound of earth, I try to ask it for help. The requisite words have already been lost to the advancing fog, and all I can do is reach out my hand toward him, attempting to entreat some spark of humanity within the fizzling, shifting figure. In response to my vague plea, the entity scampers off into the forest, tripping over itself before disappearing from view. As I watch it leave, a single dim beacon ignites in the far corners of my swiftly vanishing mind, a single light whose implications kickstart my fading reasoning and force me on through the forest. I can see the Wrangler through the trees. It's close by, yet at the same time, impossibly far away. There's something wrong with my eyes. The car shifts in and out of focus, but every time it comes back in view, the image is less sharp, until it exists as a pulsing dark green blur against a dull, slowly swaying backdrop. My boots kick up against one another, a final stumble that brings me down to earth. When I try to get up again, I find that I'm completely unable. There's no strength left in my body, and no amount of resolve can raise me back to my feet. Though it may be my imagination, I think I hear a steady rustling through the undergrowth as if something were making its way toward me. Soon, after my senses start to die away, leaving me with nothing more than the cold and the silence for company, 
The dim light shines until the end, however, the single strand of revelation, all solitary thought uh, that I attempt to hold aloft from the all-consuming fog. It's a memory. A vague recollection from my first interview with Rob J. Guthard. It was the day we met, the day he told me about his long and meandering life. Japan. Hiroji. Okagara. The strange phenomenon he saw which sparked his obsession with the supernatural. The singular event that started him down the road to the left-right game that led this excursion. The moment that brought us here. It walked up to me through the trees. Looked like static you see on a TV screen, but it had a human shape almost. Almost? It was missing an arm. Wow, well... So there's some time traveling shit going on, as well as the dimension stuff going on. I think time is non-linear, you know? I think, like, uh... I think what they've been through and what they're going through, uh... I think it just fucks with all rules, you know? So... She was absolutely the ghost that he saw in Okagara. The forest that they ran through, the forest that they came to, somehow in time and space... What's that static thing that she saw, though? Rob. Rob. At that moment in time. She's missing an arm? Well, it's it's bandaged to her, I think. Uh. So it looks like it looks like it's incomplete because she binded it so that it didn't wobble free. Did he ever say if he had the Wrangler back then? No, and I don't think that that's I don't think that that's something to focus on. I think the only thing to focus on is just the pure fact that the forest, the road, at this point in time, has introduced almost a Donnie Darko-esque time loop. Mm. Like, she had... Alice had sparked Rob's obsession with the supernatural, which got Alice to join him on the road in the game. So it's a real fun kind of, like, loop. Um, you know, uh, to use a, a looper yeah. term for time travel, um, which is really interesting. I don't hate it, but I think it, um, it raises a lot of fucking questions. You know, um, time has been unstable this entire story, but I don't think to that sort of to that sort of degree. You where, know. Where is Rob, though? I think he might just be gone. But, like, why and how? If the story doesn't show us what happened to Rob, I will be disappointed. But I also think... No, we absolutely have to see Rob sometime soon. Yeah. We absolutely have to. I mean, I'm not going to read ahead. I'm going to close the document right now. But fuck, if this story really doesn't conclude Rob in any way, shape, or form. I guess I was kind of right, though. Like, oh, no, I wasn't right at all. Everyone just fucking died. Yeah. 
Everyone's been hurt in a significant way, and it was final boss battle status. Right there. So, like, now what? What is Alice... Somehow in this last section, Rob, Alice has okay, to so Rob to transmit is, the information. No, Rob is absolutely still alive, and Rob would absolutely be the type of guy to go on the road with more than one key. Yeah. That's the only way I see the story continuing. You know, like, she has to get back on the road, and whether or not he dies in the car from blood loss or dies from sort of shitty conversation that they have and just kills himself. I don't fucking know, man, but he better be in the next fucking part and he better got some splaining to do. At least yeah. I, at least I hope so, you know. If this story um, you know, let's let's devil's advocate the entire situation. Rob doesn't show up. She forages through the jeep for a bunch of shit. Finds a key or finds a way to start the car. Somehow. And continues on the road by herself. Rules for hot wiring. I loosely know how to hot wire, but it's not easy. No. Um, you definitely need tools, and it doesn't sound like they had much left. Based off of what... Maybe they sound Whatever like. shit that they had in the car. Because the game has to keep going. Well, the game is obviously still going. We have two more parts left. But... Both of these parts were very self-contained. They were very narratively driven, smaller on the dialogue. I mean, naturally, you have less people, so it's it's going to happen. But I almost... I just talked for an entire hour, like, by myself. Yeah. And after doing episode 111, I didn't think I would want to do that again for a while. Yeah. That was interesting. I did, I did Ted's Caver story, the entire thing, by myself. It was, like, two hours. I had to, like, stop and take... I was sick. But I knew that the episode had yeah. to come out this week, so I had to fucking do it. Well, maybe next, the last section, we can take off, take turns every 15 or so. We do have about 60 pages left, so if we wanted to go by time limits, we could do time limits. Um, but, I mean, I don't give a fuck. I'm just saying. Uh, the next part has to... I liked this part more than I liked the last couple. Are we going to see the voice again? The fuck is that? The voice last showed up in, I think, episode two after yeah. Ace died. She was real butthurt, walked out into the field, and looked up into the sky, and it was like, I see you. It's weird. It's very dark tower of this author, you know, um... I don't know. I still don't know what the end game is. I still don't know what's happening. Like, time and space are tangible. We are traveling all over the world, all over the universe. Different things are happening. That child thing. I don't even know. Seem to be related to Blue Jay. Well, light and time. I think the voice has got to be like Hades. Well, light and time had had the effect on the child. So, when it spent, when it was, yeah, when it was touched by light, it was aged, and I think it's implying that I don't know. From this point forward, um, is Alice even like human anymore? You know, like is she gonna become a she part of the road? You know, one, is that is that thing. how it's going to end? She just becomes another crazy fucking thing on the road? No way. 
There's no way. That's such a creepypasta way to end the story, though. Oh, she becomes the staticky thing? No, she becomes... In the next episode, we're reading Plot Holes, and it has a very good ending. And I think, like... I think this story having an ending... like I can't even... I need to cut the entire thing now. Because I can't even talk about it. Anyway, I think it might have an ending where you kind of find yourself back at the start that Alice has... Alice has spread the game around as an act for it to continue drawing victims. To continue getting people to travel down the road, to getting people to try and look for the road. Um, I think by her reaching out to the author and saying, like, this is what happened to me, he's also spreading the word about the road so the road can continue to... Yeah fucking consume lives you know not in like a no end house kind of way but in a you know like um obviously the road needs people to go down it or else what's the purpose you know what it's an it's an unexplained phenomenon but at the same time it has i don't know it has it does have a purpose. It has to have a purpose. I think to argue its purpose would be to argue the point of the entire story. So do you think there's going to be more wraparound narrative? Do you think, like, the crazy old lady from the first episode is going to come back? Do you no. think? Do you think uh, Chuck Greenwald's going to come back? Anything crazy? No, no. I don't think... Or is this, like, an oh, brother, where art thou, dick fuck... The, the only thing... Random. The only thing that we've seen, I guess, throughout is the voice thing. That seems more omniscient. Everything else seems well, to course. be... Well, of course. That's that's godlike. Everything else seems to be... Uh, I don't know. If we are running with mythology, then yes. Saying Hades um, as, the, as the voice of those Which, who travel the road would be... Yeah. Would make sense. Or in the... Um, what's the uh, divine... In the Divine Comedy, it's not Hades, but uh, Lucifer the Fallen Angel. Because mm. he was, um, what, Catholic? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we're fucking around with all types of religion. I don't think that, I think, like, that's the point, obviously, is you gotta screw around with all types of uh, mythology, even Christian mythology, you know, monotheism. Mm hmm. Anyway, I don't, I don't know. No idea which way this is going to go. Yes, I didn't know what to expect for this one, this reading, and I, I, I mean, it didn't go as I expected. <laughs> no. I didn't think that Blue Jay and all of that would have such a big impact on, well, the rest of them. All three of them. Blue Jay fucked them all up. <laughs> Blue Jay fucked them all up. She was a boss fight. <laughs> she was like, um, you know, like in Bird Box, she's like one of the crazy people. She's like Gary. You know, the road is, <laughs> the, road is the entity and, and that movie you know, was creepy. And she just pulled a Gary. That movie was creepy as hell. You didn't like it? No, creepy in a good way. Oh, I didn't think it was creepy at all. Really? <laughs> Sorry, it takes a lot more to scare me. No, it, I don't think creepy is scarier even... the same thing. But it just creeps me out going back to Bird Box. Bird Box! <laughs> it's creepy 
thinking about you just seeing something and then instantly wanting to instantly, kill yourself. Instantly killing yourself. Well, I look in the mirror and I have that reaction, so... Nah, but it's not the you same. Know, like, I look at myself and I instantly want to kill myself. Like, everybody in that movie mindlessly killed themselves. You ever think that, like, also, like, Bird Box sounds like a really good meal kit delivery service? But now it's a movie. Yeah. All right. So is there, is there anything else you wanted to say, Tenron, before we end this wonderful part... F- Part four of five parts left right game shenanigans. Morality, I brought this up earlier, is totally dependent 